Good morning, everyone. Again, I'm, uh, I'm Shane Whalen, pastor of Christian Education here at Rivermont. Uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Hebrews uh, chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning as we come to the Word of God. Uh, and as you're doing that, I'll, I'll begin here. Uh, you may be familiar uh, with a man by the name of Horace. He, he lived a little before Christ was born. And uh, Horace was born in Italy in uh, 65 B.C. And he died in, in Rome in 8 B.C. Uh, Horace was known for his uh, satire, uh, poetry, and odes. He taught classes on how to write drama and other forms uh, of the arts. And when he was with his class and his students, he told them that when they were writing plays, that a God, that's a little g, God, must not be introduced into the action unless the plot is such a mess that only a God can make sense of the mess and fix the problem. It's interesting to think about Right, Because the Bible uh, tells us that the plot of life for all of humanity is a mess and because of our sin and rebellion to a holy God. But the one true God, the maker and creator of all things, stepped in and he sent his son to redeem and restore what we have made such a mess of. The redemption and restoration of this world by God through Jesus involves love, sacrifice, death, and resurrection, among other things. It's the resurrection piece that we will uh, get a glimpse of uh, this morning. But questions still linger because it sounds too good to be true. How can we be sure that God will do what he says he will do? How do we live in a world that oftentimes has the exact opposite of what we believe and what the Word of God says? How do we live with an eternal perspective? And we'll see this morning that this comes by faith. And the path of faith is one that often can demand much, but the promises and what awaits those who live by faith far outweigh what the world could ever offer. As we continue our look at the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, we come back uh, to a man that we've read about before in Hebrews 11, to Abraham. In verses 8 through 12, we were reminded of the faith it took for Abraham to obey God, leave his homeland, live in tents, and all the while, as we heard last week, longing for a better country. Uh, our text in Hebrews this morning shows us that the Lord was not done with Abraham and through a surprising request, we will learn about the testing of our faith, the strengthening of our faith, and hopefully the hope of our faith. So let us turn our attention to God's holy word in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac 
shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let us pray. Almighty, gracious Father, holy God, we come before you this morning grateful for this is the day that you have made. Lord, may we rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for allowing us to gather as your people, to gather, to study your word, to hear your word. Oh, Lord, what a gift. And Lord, we know that there are many voices outside of your word that demand so much attention, that scream to us. And Lord, uh, we ask that in these few moments that you would give us attentive hearts and spirits, Lord, that you would speak to us. And Lord, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would bring the gift of faith. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would do these things because on our own we can't. Lord, we need you so much. We need you every hour. So we ask that you would be with us. And Lord, during this time, I ask that I would decrease, that you would increase, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and redeemer. It's the mighty and precious name of Christ. We pray. Amen. So the first thing that our text teaches us is that God tests our faith. And verse 17 lays this out pretty clearly. If you look at your Bibles in the text, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And some quick reminders as we consider what it means and what we learn from God testing our faith. In Genesis 12, as I mentioned Earlier, God called Abraham and told him to move to Canaan. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham he will have a son to fulfill the promises that God has made to him. The problem is that Abraham and his wife Sarah are not getting any younger. They're well advanced in years. As they waited for Isaac's birth, there were ups and downs. Abraham and Sarah were human after all as well. Abraham told Sarah to say that he was his sister twice. But Abraham ultimately had faith to believe and trust the promises of God. For it was through this promised son, the promises of God were going to be fulfilled. And God in his faithfulness provided Isaac as a son. Uh, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 or so when Isaac was born. And at this point in the story, in their lives, you would think that the provision of Isaac... Uh, to such an old couple, that would be enough. Abraham had faith and God had done what he had said, said he would do. So in due time, the other promises of God would come to fruition. They would follow. Yet God often does not operate in a way that we think God should operate. As wild as the promise of the child was, God was not done with Abraham. There was one final test that would be the ultimate test of Abraham's faith and his devotion to God. And Genesis 22 says this, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
of which I shall tell you. What? What? Isaac was the promised son Abraham had waited for. Surely the promises God made to Abraham were going to come through Isaac. How would all of the nations of the earth be blessed? How would Abraham's offspring be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as uncountable as the sand on the seashore? God promised these things. Now he says, take your son, your only son, to the place that I tell you to take him and then kill him. The one who had made the promise was calling Abraham to kill the promise. Is God going back on his promises? If I was Abraham, and I dare say if any of us were Abraham, our most likely response would be, yes. You finally give me a son 100 years old, now you want me to kill him? If Isaac dies, Lord, what, what's the plan? What are you going to do? But our text tells us that when he was tested, Abraham had faith. And by faith, he took Isaac and was about to do what God told him to do. He was going to kill his son. What about us? How do we respond when God tests us? Because he does test us. And not to the point of asking us to kill one of our children, but there still are tests in our lives. And God often tests the faith of his people by requiring their continued trust in his word and his goodness, even when it seems contradictory or makes no sense to us. God tells us that those who put their faith and trust in Christ will be blessed and that they will have a full and abundant life. But why didn't I get that scholarship? Why didn't I get that job? Why did I get fired from my job? Why is God calling me out of my comfortable job to be a missionary? Why is God calling me to fostering or adoption? Don't you know, Lord, that my own kids are enough? Why did I get injured and have to miss my senior se season? Why do I have cancer or another terminal illness? Why did my mom, dad, spouse, sibling, or child have to die? Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. So maybe God is teaching that perhaps we love this world too much and not to hold on to our hopes and dreams and things of this world too tightly. Maybe he is a good father who is disciplining his children that he loves so, so much. Arthur Pink, a theologian, says this, the Lord has absolute claim upon us, upon all that we have. As our maker and sovereign, he has the right to demand from us anything he pleases. Whatsoever he requires, we must yield. All that we have comes from him and must be held for him and at his disposal. Is this easy? No. But by God's grace, may we always remember that he has our best interest in mind. 
So there's an aspect of discipline to God's testing and a call perhaps to, to realign some of our priority as God tests us. But there's another reason for God testing us, which leads to our second point, the strengthening of our faith. One of the biggest ways our faith is strengthening is through testing. We see this in other areas of life as well. Uh, students take tests to strengthen their knowledge of a subject. In sports, we see the same thing as well. There's a saying in soccer that says this. It says, let the ball do the work. That means when a soccer ball is passed, the ball can move quicker than a player dribbling the ball. So a team needs to be good at passing and not do so much dribbling. As a coach of our team, to help our team get better at passing, I put them through tests. I set up cones a few feet apart, and their passes have to go between the cones. Sometimes they count how many passes in a row they get between the cones. At other times, if a player hits a cone, or if the pass goes outside the cone, they have to run. Why? I'm not trying to be harsh or difficult, although some of my players may disagree. I am testing them to strengthen their passing skills. If our team can't connect passes together with accuracy, we will have a hard time letting the ball do the work. Do we believe and have faith in what we say we believe and have faith in? Obviously, God knows all things. That includes him knowing the, what the outcome will be in advance while we are being tested God's providence is still at work. The doctrine of, of providence does not relieve us from going through difficult times. It reassure us, reassures us that God knows what he is doing. The Puritan John Flavel said this. He says, like Hebrew words, the providence of God makes ultimate sense only when we read it backwards. So often we can look back at the difficult trials or test and see that God had something better in store. You didn't get that scholarship, but wow, did God ever provide in miraculous ways. You become thankful you didn't get the job or got fired from your job because God provided an even better job. You see God's provision of daily grace as you bring the gospel to a country in need. As your family expands with the blessing of more children. You miss your senior season, but you learn the joy of encouraging and serving your teammates. You lost a loved one, but God taught you so much about his sovereignty and sharing the good news of Christ to others who have lost loved ones. You have cancer, but know all the more what it means to rest in the arms of of your sweet Savior, and to trust Him. But not only that, when we pass God's test by His grace, we can see the strengthening of our faith, and we find a great, greater assurance of our salvation, the Lord's faithfulness, and we see Him by the power of the Holy Spirit work in our lives to make us more and more like Christ. Still, it's not easy to endure such testing, and again, how much more was this true for Abraham? On this side of things, we know that Abraham was being tested 
But again, think about things from his perspective. He had waited more than 25 years for Isaac, since the promise was made, to be born just when the Lord's promises of life and land are starting to be fulfilled. God commands him to kill the one who would help fulfill the promises. Yet Abraham, Abraham has faith to believe and to obey God's command. And this story should be a great encouragement to us. When God tests us and our faith is faltering, what should we do? We can look and learn from the examples of others who were tested, and we can stay the course. Abraham's actions were, again, guided by faith and an ultimate trust in the promises of God. If you look down at your text in the middle of verse 17 and into 18, this thing is reiterated for us. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham was going to offer up Isaac knowing this is the one, the promises were going to come through. Yet through this test, Abraham's faith was strengthened because he was still focused on the promises of God and knew God could still do what he said he was going to do. Which leads to our final point. The hope of our faith. And the ultimate hope of our faith is the resurrection. On the other side of the cross, Abraham had an incomplete view of the resurrection and the importance it would play in redeeming man, restoring creation. Yet here through faith, the faith of Abraham, we begin to get a glimpse of what God had in store for his people. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity into the hearts of men. So Abraham did not allow God's command to cancel his trust in God's promise. He wasn't like, well, I guess that puts an end to all those promises, God. Thanks. Instead, by faith, he trusted that God had a plan and a reason for this command. God promised that through Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now he wants me to kill him. I will do it. If you know the story from Genesis 22... You know that just as Abraham was going to kill his son, the Lord stopped him at the last second. By faith, he had passed the test. The Lord spared his son's life and honored Abraham's faith and provided a ram and a thicket for Abraham to sacrifice in place of Isaac. How could Abraham have such faith? Because by faith... Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Hebrews 11, 19, going back to our text, says this very thing. He, that's Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him, that's Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And verse 19 literally reads this way. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and as a parable, he did receive Isaac back from death. So Isaac's death pointed forward to the death of the one who takes away our sin. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There are many uh, parallels, but a few other similarities between the sacrifice of Isaac and death of Jesus include... Both were one and only sons, both carried the wood to their sacrifice, both trusted their fathers, and both were willing to die. 
So if we wrestle with and perhaps even have a problem with God's command to Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, have we forgotten this is exactly what God has done for us in Christ? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. May God give us the grace to swallow our pride, to see our sin and confess our need of a Savior, to live and to die for us. And the hope of the resurrection is what makes the hope of our faith reality. The story of Jesus did not end on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and Satan. This is the hope that we have to the world. And to the world, it sounds crazy. It sounds like madness. And we all have coworkers, family, friends, professors, teachers that would say, you really believe this Jesus stuff? All the miracles, God becoming man, dying on the cross, being raised from the dead, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins said this. He said, presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. What do we do with statements like that? We humbly remember that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that they are blind, they are deaf to the truth, that the wisdom of God foolishness to man that their hearts are hardened to the truth that apart from the Holy Spirit and God's gift of faith we'd be saying the same thing so I ask you this morning do you believe in Christ and have the hope of the resurrection do you live with eternity stamped on your forehead do you have faith in the promises of God To know and have faith that this is not the end. And just like Abraham believed that God could resurrect Isaac, that same God will resurrect all who believe and trust in Jesus to eternal life. And all those who have rejected and do not believe in Christ will be sent to eternal punishment and judgment. So may we live by faith, knowing that God's testing can strengthen our faith. James chapter 1 verse 12 tells us this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And just as God promised he would make Abraham into a great nation through Isaac, he promises a crown of life for those who remain steadfast 
Even when our doubts and fears roll in like the ocean waves, cling to Christ. Put your faith in the one who is always steadfast. And by faith in him, we will receive the crown of life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Father, grace and mercy, we we praise you for your goodness to us. Uh, Thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you for the promise of of eternal life. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for your grace. I pray that your spirit would move in our hearts. Make us more like Christ. And Lord, help us to remember you love us so much that you gave us your son. Lord, lead us and guide us. Bless us and keep us. Make us more like Jesus in all things. In his mighty name we pray. Amen.